2: Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Marco Pelletier. We'll talk to Marco about his wine, his restaurant, and a lot more stuff he's into. I'm your host, Sam Benrubi. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Canadian born Marco Pelletier studied engineering but pursued his love for wine, eventually heading to France. Marco was head sommelier of some of Paris' best restaurants, including Taliban and the Hotel at Bristol. Uh, Marco left the three Michelin star world to open Vont, a Parisian wine bar with an extensive wine list and an emphasis on great food with former Bristol alum. Marco Pelletier is also the Vigneron for Domaine de Gallucci in Bordeaux. And can we talk about the champagne? champagne of course, yes. And we're going to talk about a new champagne. All right, Marco, welcome to the Great Nation. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you. Um you. I've been chasing you around for about a year. You are based in France, but you're back and forth a lot because you're a busy guy and we're gonna get into that. Um, You are in New York today, you have a portfolio tasting, La Pole is in town, there's a lot of good stuff going on. All right, so I want you to give our listeners a little context. Um, You're a guy who grew up in North America but now has settled in Europe. Give me some background, on your journey in life and wine that got you really to where you are today, which is Vont, the restaurant and the wine projects. So how did all this start?
3: Yeah, it's a long story, but I'll try to be uh, you better uh, as short as, uh, as possible. You know, born and raised in Canada, Uh, from a worker's family that never had any wines at home and never drank any wines. So I ended up to be uh, finishing my school in civil engineering, as you just said uh, a little bit earlier. But, you know, when I finished that, I wanted to travel a little bit in Europe before, like, uh, settle down to my civil engineer work. And finally, I ended up to do a, um, you know... uh, I met a a French woman in Montreal and I I told her I said I wanted to go work in a little cafe in France just to pay my my traveling because my school cost me a lot of money so I wanted to work a little bit before. And she said oh my mom I have a cafe if you want to come you know you can come for the seasons and uh, that was in the summer of 1997. And, you know, one week before going there, I said, okay, I need to know where I'm going. And she said, you know, you arrive in Paris, you go to Gare de l'Est, you take a little train, it will be one hour and 15 minutes, and you drop off at Épernay, which is the capital of Champagne. Right. I said... Oh, okay. That will be better than eating potatoes in the north of France. Okay. And so I'll drink. I'll drink champagne. So I ended up over there to be, you know, to do the the, the seasons over there, serving like just cognac, monsieur and beers and things like that. And all the the workers of Moet Chandon and all these big uh, houses of champagne, very close to the Avenue de Champagne in Épernay, they were coming and said, so, "Oh, gamin, I would love you to come to do the harvest with us." And I did some illegal tasting in wine cellar at Dom Pérignon, for example. And with all these workers, and they were like breaking necks of 1979 <laughs> Dom Pérignon, and we were drinking that in the cellar. I said, oh, that's that's fun. You know, it's, it's really interesting. And after all that seasons, you know, I ended up to be uh, uh, like a, harvest, uh, a grape picker in the harvest. And, you know, they used to call me the bear because, you know, I was carrying a lot of them. And I said, okay, would you like to stay a little bit for the vinification? I said, vinification. So my Sabbath summer ended up to be almost a three-quarter of a year what year uh, was that 97 97 97 and uh, so finally you know after all these like eight nine months I said okay I need to go back to France to, to, to Canada because I need to work in civil engineer which I worked for and I didn't have my papers to stay in France it's starting to be a little bit critical and I said okay find so it up back to Canada and I did a few interviews in civil so engineer I said that's not for me because of the experience, because of the experience first, and because also, so of
2: your heart was telling you something different than what
3: you planned for. Exactly, and I think it's the civil engineer, also people that truly convinced me to. Uh, because the interview I did, they were like very rough, <laughs> tough people, and not as like human as I discovered right. uh, as, as in the industry of of, of uh, restaurants. So I said, oh. No, I you know I was I didn't know what to do and things like that and I think my mom took the, the worst decision of her life by saying you enjoy your experience Marco go back again if you want so she encouraged you yeah she encouraged I'm me sorry. to go back to do another seasons over there just to make sure that this is one of... I wanted to do and I never came back you know I came back to do my my of course my school uh, as a uh, summary courses right. because I didn't have my paper yet right. uh, in France but a degree uh, or whatever degree exactly right. there was now all these MS and things like that back then since I'm very old but uh, <laughs> Not and old. and uh, you know I handed back to 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 France in Epernay to do another season to really comfort myself to uh, what I wanted to do and after that I said this is what I want to do. And I applied to do my summerly courses in, in Montreal. And, of course, I was refused uh, at the beginning because a civil engineer guy that wants to do a restaurant, they said, that guy will stay, like, for three weeks, and after he's going to leave. Really? Yeah. They and, could
2: decide whether they want to take you or not?
3: Of course, yes. Wow. And uh, because of the profile, because there, there was very little... Uh, people. There was only 30 people every year. That are was, these the same
2: psalm courses around the world or are they specific to Canada? Or?
3: It's it's the same. It's 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 all the same. But back then, you know, there was not a lot of uh, school. You know, there was like two programs in Canada. I chose one I right. think it was the best. Well, so I asked them when I was in, in Europe to say, I want to go, I want to do it. And finally, there was a last minute cancellation. And they said, okay, you need to be there next week. And I took the plane and I came back and I did my Somali courses.
2: How long was that? I mean, how long
3: 97 until 99.
2: So you went back to Canada and stayed there for two yes. years. What were you doing for a couple of years? Just to-
3: I was working in the summer job to pay my school and things like that, just a little bit in restaurant, but right. I didn't have my diploma yet. So not a lot of credibility to work in, in these environment. But at the end, you know, I, I had a chance of winning a scholarship to uh, allowed me to come to work in the chateau in france so i ended up in the southwest of france in brantome en périgord and and you know speaking english and french there was a lot of tourists over there so the income of the of the restaurant really got very high because of like talking with people and I was fortunate, and the, that Relais Château that I was in was the Relais Château of the president of the Relais Château, Monsieur Régis Brulot, back then. And he said, Marco, for your career, you absolutely need to go to Paris. And this is why, when he called Michel Rostand, the two-star Michelin in Paris, and he said, I have a young guy, you need to take that guy. He wants to continue his stage over there. So I ended up in Paris at Michel Rostand. So great Rostand. guy, looking out for you. Great guy. Rostand,
2: like you said, two Michelin star.
3: Yeah, exactly, in Rue de Renquin, so a great uh, two-star Michelin with a great program wine list, the Wine Spectator Grand Award, which I discovered uh, back then with Alain Rosati, which was my biggest mentor because he really showed me the simplicity of wine, uh, humility in the wine business. He's really one of the great person, and I was very lucky to meet him because after two weeks, you know, I was like running with all these people, and he said, you know, I just hired a young guy, but... He's not the one I want. I want you to be the the Somali ah. my assistant. And I was supposed to go back to Canada, and I had that opportunity of staying, and I stayed for four years at Michel Rostand. So what year was that? You started at Rostang when and left when? Th- that was December
2: 1999. Okay. So you stayed there four years? Yes, until, until 2003, until, yeah. Right. Um, learning everything, lo- loving everything, being taught. Yeah, and I was
3: very lucky because, you know, he was not the old school sommelier of right. France, which she wants to say at the top, like pushing down the other to keep his... Right. Uh, so he was bringing me everywhere. Every time there was a, an invitation, he said, if my commie is not coming, I'm not coming. And he was very, very generous of himself for that. So obviously
2: you establish yourself, few connections, Your guys are looking out for you. Taliban comes to an end. I mean, Rostan comes to an end. How does the next thing happen?
3: But actually, actually, it's it's still because of Alain Rosati. Because you know, I was with him since four four years, and everything was going perfectly well, and. I was always like tasting wines and going in, in tasting in the vineyard and things like that. So you were all in at this point now. Yeah, exactly. I you, was... you were tasting. You're tasting at work,
2: tasting with friends, traveling a little. Yeah,
3: a, a lot of energy to go to see the people and all the tasting because of Anna uh, Rosati. And one day, uh, the general manager of Taïvan. Uh, and Monsieur Vrina, they were looking for a new head sommelier and I was 29-year-old over there and they said, oh, there's a young kid over there at Michel Rostand. Maybe you need to to see him to get an interview with him. And the general manager called uh, Alain Rosetcy the head sommelier. And instead of keeping everything for him, he said, you need to go, Marco, you need to go Good there, guy. it's going to be a tough job, it's going to be like a real, real old school restaurant, but you need to go there, and he really encouraged me, he really forced me to go, and I had an interview with, uh, with Jean-Claude Vrina and Pierre Béraud that was the head buyer over there, and two weeks after, I had an appointment at DRC, Domaine de la Romane Conti. And five minutes before the appointment, Monsieur Vrina called me and he said, Marco, you, get, you have the job at uh, Taivan at Three Star Michelin. And five minutes after, I was with Aubert de Villene and Monsieur Noblet to do the tasting at DRC.
2: You were on your way. Um, so you were definitely one of the younger guys doing programs at big, fancy Michelin-starred restaurants, right? I mean, was there st- still an old guard? and?
3: It, it was a very old guard restaurant, but uh, there's... But th- even
2: in, you know, the fine restaurants in oh, yeah. Paris and all that. Oh, yeah,
3: but th- th- there's one thing that I really noticed very quickly, and this is... Uh, why uh, it convinced Monsieur Vrina to, to do a, a, a road together, it's because I, want, I was there to work. I was there because there's a lot of, on, on the market back then, there was a lot of good sommeliers, but there was, there was not a lot of good manager Right. because we had like 425,000 bottles in the wine cellar. There were no more 78, 85, 1990 in Burgundy, but we had a lot of 84, uh, 82, 80, all, all the uh, uh, underrated vintage. So somebody needed to take care of it.
2: Right. Yeah, Push it and all of that. Um, so you spend how many years at Taliban? Six years. Six years, that's a long time in yes. the business for with restaurant. all these
3: conditions, with the old school uh, yeah. restaurant. But that obviously
2: never fazed you. You understood nope. what you were doing, the people, right? You enjoyed it. Your passion was looming large. It was large. really
3: the old school. We could talk about like for two hours about all the intern thing, but I don't think it's the, uh, the moment of, of doing this. But that was the old school, very, very tough school. And I don't think... Really, I don't think a lot of young Somali can imagine how it can be I, like I twenty years ago in France in the three but stars. here's the
2: other thing: as time went by, your wine knowledge got better and better, you understood the best producers, the best vintage years, rarities, what's cool, what's emerging, and all that. Um, by the time you were Taliban, did you know all of that, or you were still learning stuff?
3: We are always learning. I know that this is all the people in that industry said. We we uh, we learn every day every day every day of course and in in different environment in this different restaurant you still learn different things because you have different client three star Michelin clients are not the same than in a bistro in the 11th district and in not the same in a two star Michelin or one star right you always I want improve to talk you about always that. and and of course the 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 uh, the trends are changing the way people are drinking everything changed so. Even if you think you know everything, or you have your solid basis, or things like that, but the people, the wine that people like today, they're not the same than ten years ago. No,
2: there's definitely been a change, and we'll talk about that. But I guess the other thing that comes to mind with me is um, your exposure, your experience was very Franco-centric, right? I mean, a, a, yeah. most of the wines that were being sold, drinking, tasting, were you know, were French wines. So you became an expert at that quickly. But you had chances to drink.
3: We we had chances. And and, and I can tell you with my assistant back then, because my assistant, Manuel Perondé, which now is MOF in sommelier, is the best sommelier of France. Now he's going for the best sommelier of the world. Ah. So so, so we we, we create everything together, the the sort of new generation of sommelier. Because back then, there was no Instagram, Facebook, or things like that. And, you know, every... First week of uh, summer, we were going in Piemonte with our car and things like that. And it's hard to imagine that in 2003, when we were going in Piemonte, all the winemakers, I'm talking about... Roberto Conterno. All these people they were saying, "We're very happy to see a foreigner sommelier." There were no
2: Americans. There were you no. You don't think of that now, as you do, because guys like Conterno, Giacosa, they were—they're—they're they're gods now. But they were just farmers walking around. Exa- right? Exactly,
3: and this is in 2003. That's not like 40 years ago. Right. Right. It's, th- th- this is pretty. Th- this is why we see that things going very, very fast. We were the first in France to bring some Piemonte wine and things like that. And we had tons of it, even at Taïvan, because we wanted to have that young generation, even if Taiwan had these old school uh, image. But with Manuel Pirandet, we wanted to crush everything and to change everything, the whole game back then. And still a lot of people talk about this duo that we were doing with Manuel Perrondet back then as like the new upcoming generation. Now we are old, but back then we were like the new, it's always new And like to you said, without social
2: media, you without know, without taking pictures of you and the winemakers in the fields and all the cellar pictures
3: you guys take exactly. now. Exactly. And we were just, just for the little anecdote, when I was at Taiwan, I had a full locker full of 88 Musigny from Roumier. I had 48 bottles, none of them had labels, and I was going to see all our loyal clientele said, oh, would you like to drink a museum for it? I have it for 250 euros if you want, but there's no label, but you'll see it on, on the cork. That was a whole different game back then. You know. It was about generosity, not about speculation, not about rarity. It was really... It was a different time. A, exactly. It was a completely different time. All right, so let's finish the chronology because there's a ton of stuff I want to get into.
2: So you do six years of Taliban. Yes.
3: Monsieur you, Vrina you, died in 2008. You, you're killing
2: it. So you move to no slouch job. You move on to the Hotel uh, Le Bristol.
3: Yeah. yeah. I have, at the beginning, I didn't want to necessarily leave Taiwan back then, but Monsieur, really? Vr- Monsieur Vrina died from right. a very uh, radical cancer in 2008 and you know back then things were changing and I, I was not in phase of what was happening in that restaurant and believe it or not i was supposed to open the rn7 of war with raj in uh, in, in san that. francisco yes and we had 80 percent of the paper that were done and uh headhunter called me i was at taiwan It said There's a future three-star Michelin Palace that looks for a head sommelier. And, you know, I meet all the people over there. And there was like 27 sommeliers on the road to go there. And still, again, the only thing I said, if I go with you, I just want to work. I just want to clean up everything I want to do. And most of the people were asking for one week off to go in the right. and, and things like that, because people You're were... You're the co- guy
2: with the head down, let's get going, right? I just I want to work with you, and Plus, this is coming my... from Taliban, is, you know... Oh, yeah, that's... I, glad, you know. <laughs> I didn't
3: have one single day off so you in get, Taiwan six you get years. The,
2: <laughs> Right, I'm sure you didn't get much off, uh, so you take the job at...
3: At, at the Bristol. Bristol, yes, exactly. And I stayed and for eight years.
2: That's a little different because Taliban, restaurant, Bristol's hotel with restaurant, I guess, bars. I mean, there were a lot more things going completely on. Completely
3: different games, yes. Yeah. Yes, you need to manage. Your, your, the, the skill of, ta- of, of managing is completely different because, first of all, you had... 12 sommeliers under your, your arm because we had three restaurants, a bar, the room service, plus the, the catering and all the, 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 these things. So it, it's a completely different job. So it's more management than working on the floor, even if I was doing 10 service a week at Epicure, but I needed to always have an eye on the other thing and after that on the way I was managing the uh, hotel Cabinon Rock et Saint-Bart the hotel in Seychelles and there were the, other ones Yeah, the they other tapped o- into you for yeah not, not everyone but a bunch of them a bunch of that, because we we, we had five hotel plus management uh, contract management on other hotel and that was a pretty job so I was helping them to you know to send some ship boat to to benefit from better prices on wines and things like that so there was a, there was a whole different game over, over there so you spent how many years there? Eight years under Bristol. Yes. So,
2: God, Taliban and uh, Bristol. It's like yes. 14 years. Yes. In three-star Michelin, mm-hmm. yes. Amazing. So, the big question is, and, and fill in the gap if I miss something, what compels you to leave 14 years of three Michelin, six combined, to go off and open your own place? Now, was there anything in between leaving Bristol and, and Vaughan? No, there was okay. nothing. So but, but why, 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 at Bristol, when did it start brewing? that, you know, I, I gotta do something. It,
3: it, it's for many reasons. I think, first of all, uh, I think uh, the human being is not made to do the same thing all his life. That's, that's first of all. Especially
2: I, you, you're itchy and you want to learn and do new and different
3: things. Being in a big hotel, uh, it was hard because of the close of non-competition to have my little vineyard in Bordeaux because that started while I was at, at the Bristol. You know, there was always some little jealousy in between of of little thing because my... Wait, so
2: stop right there. So while you were working at Bristol, and we're going to talk about it more specifically, you acquired a plot in Bordeaux and you started making wine with a couple other friends or associates they had a minor resentment towards that or that created a little friction when you're... No,
3: it's not inside. It was more at the Bristol. At the,
2: that's what I meant. Oh,
3: yeah. At the Bristol. Be, be, right, because, so
2: a culmination of that and doing the same thing. And...
3: Exactly. So, you know, because you know, when you're not there, you need to be there and things like that. And plus, you know, there was a lots, lots of uh, work doing 10 service every week in a restaurant, three star, managing all the buyings of all the hotel and things like that. And at the end, I had some serious health problem. And uh, then it gets hard and it gets it's gets hard if and you it feel was
2: fine. It's easy to get up and kill the world. But if you're dragging your but ass at the
3: end, because, you know, when you're in a big, big hotel like that, with a lot of, uh, you know, pretension in terms of uh, what you want to be and things like that. And, you know, I wanted to do th- things differently and I was always heading things like the vineyard in Bordeaux and all these things. And at the end, I was not able to do it anymore. And I said, that's enough. You know, I, I, I should have done it like two or three, three years before. But when you're in a golden prison, it's, you know... As
2: all this started happening, was it in your mind at the beginning to open your own place, or...? Yeah, for
3: sure, because for me, doing you service... You wanted to
2: stay in the business, you own oh, yeah. more casual. Oh, yeah. Or...
3: I could have stopped everything, you know, because I'm a partner also with Veritas Import in California, which we're doing import company together. We have our champagne project. We have... I could have stayed, like, just... Right, Doing you were already
2: established in other stuff. But, so you opened Vaunt, what was that, 2016?
3: 2016, correct.
2: And... You go like I said from three-star establishments to casual. How how's the transition? The transition
3: is very, very hard. Mostly, it's when we took the business. We took, you know, because our, our goal was to create it. It was not to take uh, already a three-star Michelin right. with marbles and everything. We started from zero. When I said from zero, it was an old restaurant that never had like any cleaning up or a paint since at least twenty years. There is a funny
2: story I read. The place was so smelly from cooking duck True. that you exactly. had to like scrape the walls and get the right. And when I say when I
3: said scraping the, the the wall, it was like at least one centimeter of, 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 of grease on the wall. And even you know with the, the first we did the pre opening for three months in the whole uh, setting for like knowing the needs for the renovation and things like that and we used you know everything you know we were saving like Cru, in the old like very old school glasses like very thick glasses and cool it, stuff, it, it yeah. was fun but you know just to give you an example the the dishwasher was taking in fires during the service <laughs> just to give you an idea of where we were when we and, and you know and the first with Thomas Simeon that was my uh, head well, that when I,
2: the bad news was all the crap you went through the good news is when you started the restaurant, you were with friends. Exactly. Trust me. Exactly. So and was, Thomas Simion was, was my you assistant. You guys against the world.
3: And trust me, the first service we do, when we, we print the first bill, it was not even the price for two of one glass of champagne at the Bristol. And even we, then? Even then, yes. And we look at each other and said, oh, okay, we're going to have a long road to do here. And, you know, we, we closed for three, uh, three months to do the renovation. We started, and people really started to come and to understand what we're doing. And now, you know, we have almost all the planets that are coming to drink wine. I'd, so uh,
2: I want to talk a little about that place, you know, the vibe, what you set out to do, you know, the wine list. Um, but before you tell me that, because... The wine scene in Paris has been hot as far as promoting natural wines. That whole vibe and everything. People are replicating it in New York. There's more of that. What are the distinct differences between, you know, Paris and New York? Um, and you got to go back then because today there's a little more. Of yeah,
3: that. yeah. Uh,
2: were you coming to New York, or you were too busy? You know, in those No, days. no, I was
3: not. Uh, honestly, for me, uh, when I left the Bristol and people t- talked to me about what will be your concept of the, w- of the restaurant, I said, for me, there's only one concept that holds on. It's take care of people. And I think not enough people are doing this. Before
2: how big the wine list is or course, what the, ent-
3: the menu is. Of ent- course, I'm always saying to people, I was in love with people before being in love with wines.
2: Now, was that was that banged into you at taliban and i mean that so the good fortune of three michelin star service plus the exposure to all the different elements like you said at bristol you know just managing a big crew helping with other hotels and all that you were lucky to land with your own place with that experience exactly
3: and it's the most beautiful one ever because we are doing exactly whatever we want and i think just to come back to what you you just asked me a few minutes ago i think about the trend The problem is when there's a trend, most of people are doing the same things, the same wines, the same thing. And I never looked. This is why, for me, social media, it's important to know, but it's not to take everything for granted in these things. You need to create your own thing. You need to create. This is why we said we are in Paris. We love what we talk about, classical wine, natural wine, the good one. And... and I think the both extreme are not good. So this is why in, in our restaurant, we are trying to stop that fight between conventional and natural wine. There's no such thing as, as There this, shouldn't you know?
2: be one. It's just kind of happened on its own. Different people are exactly, that Exactly, because fight.
3: there's a misunderstanding right. of, of what is a wine. Because if you have a, a person that is completely biodynamic, but it's not completely uh, without any sulfur, so you're in the conventional wine but if you are a natural uh, gr- wine grower and you put uh, rotten grapes in your tank and things like that I don't think it's good but I think a great natural wine which is close uh, because uh, close to 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 the conventional, because it's very precise, it's very lean. It's better than the Mouton Cadet or all these big industrial wine that you put the 150 uh, chemical products. So I think everything is about. I'm always taking the uh, ex- example of an apple. You know, if you take an apple and it's organic, you forget it in your counter for three months. You put it out and it's rotten. Will you be eating it on the purpose that it's organic? I don't think so. Wines is the same thing. Spoiled.
2: Yeah. Exactly. It's not good. It's not ready to eat. Um, I agree with that, and that was important. So, you know, you want to take care of the customer first, but you open this wine bar with a casual wine restaurant bar with this casual vibe, but you got... Upwards of twenty thousand bottles eventually, upwards of five thousand selections. A lot of it came from your personal exactly. stuff and all that. I mean, were people doing that then? I mean, no. were, were you ahead of the game as far as? No, no, mac-
3: no, nobody's doing it. First of all, because I'm way older than uh, than See? a lot of people that, that launch and a restaurant you today. Were connected, <laughs> and I was connected, and I was buying wine excessively since many years because I'm not a person that likes to have like the fancy cars or things like that so my my goal is it's to buy wines and to share wines with people we are not doing a museum at the restaurant we are opening wines and honestly uh, buying wines today it's a very expensive hobby you know the old I, i'm thinking of all the young kids that are like creating restaurants and things like that it's not that they don't have the talent of doing it it's just because it's expensive and i had right. that chance of you know t- today today restaurant ventre own 20000 euro of wines all the other ones in my, my wine personal, which I put consignment. And at the end of each month, the my company do an invoice to the restaurant that only pay for what right. they consumed.
2: Right. Um, you know, now in New York, you have to worry about rents. Guys of are course. moving
3: to the second floor. They're moving other,
2: you know, besides everything else that you know and you experience. That's a difference, yeah. You uh, know, one of the things about your list, which I'm sure of, is that it's pretty well appointed as far as... Burgundy, good value Burgundy, but you know, knowing you and what you even mentioned in your goal is some interesting or offbeat wines, um, which you could walk in and get there, and you're the guy curating them. What? Just tell me about some of those wines. I mean, tell me regionally, or but it's, and even of late. You know, and, and
3: honestly, if you're totally objective, you know, when I was at the Bristol or in the fancy palace and things like that, the only thing you know it's Chardonnay from Burgundy, Pinot Noir from Burgundy, right. uh, Syrah from the Northern Rhone, right. and Bordeaux. And you're well positioned, Yvonne and, and, but you know, yeah. And I was, you know, I was getting bored at, at the end because I didn't knew anything, and I didn't want, you know, all these great producers from Savoie, from the Jura, to come to the Bristol and on the fact that I have a financial guy that said, you need to sell 450 euro bottle of wine. And I said uh, to all these uh, young winemakers, I said, I don't want you to lose your time. Even if you want to be at the Bristol, I will have people that tell, no, I don't want you to sell 45 euro wines in a three-star Michelin. You know, so that, that, that's a whole different it makes thing makes total sense
2: but now at Vaughan, you had the canvas exactly to bring these guys in and let them so you bring in the Jura the Savoie all that stuff
3: right? yeah in all, all different regions even Spain it's super dynamic at the moment and you know everything changed because all these great historical fancy wine first we cannot afford it anymore right Plus, the quality is always, not always at the rendezvous. And so that's why now we are going with the energetic young wine producer. Which is old wine off producer. the charts.
2: But before we talk about that for a second, you're obviously a Burgundy lover. Um, and I think one of the nice things about the restaurant is you have a pretty good offering of reasonable Burgundies. Yes. Along with you know, the expensive trophy stuff and all of that. For my listeners, because nobody knows better than you at all levels... If you wanted to drink Burgundy and you're looking for value, where do you go? I mean, do you go oh, Region, do you go Bourguignon, do you go Marseille? I mean, just give me a couple of quick tips on how to drink good Burgundy at a reasonable price. But
3: you need to, uh, to not looking at the fancy label anymore. Because these as far these, as the maker and all of that. Of yeah. course, of, okay. of course. Because otherwise, you know, right. if, if you want to buy a at five hundred too
2: expensive
3: e- exactly. And, and and the the problem all the young people like us, you know, when uh, when I sell wine in California and all the things, people, you know, and they said, Okay, I never tasted like some nineteen eighty five Chambertin, but they said, Who cares? We will do something else you know your library and your wine your uh your museum wines we don't care and that's a big whole change in in that world So, what today. should
2: i be looking for
3: the wine in the oat coat like uh, young kids like nicolas Faure or all these young uh, winemakers that are arriving in in the the regional uh, appellation but it but it's a shame because the great great historical terroir it's impossible for us to to even if you're a young winemaker you you, you just t- create your own demand You'll never be able to. Uh, they will never be able to buy some Chambertin or anything like that. So it's it, it's over.
2: So do you you own a lot of Burgundy? But you know, as time passes, are are you buying less Burgundy and filling in a lot you, you less know, Burgundy? With Ribera Sacra and Canary of Islands and Savoie You know, all and and that and,
3: little and, little and it's by conviction. It's not only right. by prices. Right. And uh, you know, there's a whole different games that it's changing and a whole different game of attitude and philosophy in terms of wine. You know, I had a winemaker on the phone the other day and, you know, he used to sell me a bottle of Grand Cru at 110 euros, which I was selling it for 280 on my list, three vintage after. He asked for the same bottle, 250 euros plus tax. And I said, what i am doing? You know, I said, hey, if your wine are too good for us, keep it, you know?
2: Yeah. That's interesting. All right, Marco, we have to take a quick break. Um, I'm talking to Marco Pelletier. Marco is the proprietor of VANT, and we're going to talk about Domaine de Galucci and a bunch of other projects that Marco's involved with. You're listening to The Great Nation. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are see everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash great nation
2: okay we're back we're back with my guest marco pelliter um i guess we could sit here and talk about Paris, wine, and Vaughn forever, but that's not the only thing you're doing. And one of the reasons you're in New York, not at your restaurant, is because you mentioned, and you'll tell me a little about that. You make your own wine, and you're in town at a portfolio tasting to pour it out to the industry and some other people. Um, the wine is called Domaine de Galouche. Domaine de
3: Galouche. yes. What does that mean? Uh, Galouche it's a, a, a name of a little river okay. uh, close to where we are, yes. Okay. And isn't there another famous river, the Dordogne? The Dordogne, Gironde, right. all these. Right, they're, they're all around. Trust me, is way smaller than the Gironde. Uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> no, no, I figured that. So... Ten years ago when, was it the Bristol you were at, yep. you, you
3: got involved, just give me a little quick... But actually it's, uh, I got into, uh, evolving into that, the uh, men the beginning of the two, mid 2000, mid 2000, where we... Uh, 20 years Yes, yes, uh, in 2002 actually, they, uh, I said they because I was not with them uh, at that time. Uh, Gerard Pantanach and uh, Jean Terra they planted the vine uh, in 2002 actually, on the virgin soil, which is very important. And that was like a summer house that they had over there. And they had like one hectare and a half empty with only goat uh, and horses over there. And I said, we're in the country of the wine. We need to plant some vine. And the next day they went there and they started to plant nine grapes on more than one hectare. And, uh, nine different grapes? Nine different grapes. Four Let's whites th- and five reds. Jesus yes, exactly.
2: Jesus So literally, some of them were just rows yeah
3: right yeah exactly so they decided to plant illegally the vines uh over there because you know they didn't know that we need a permit of planting the the, the vineyard wait and, planting vines at
2: all or certain types of vines
3: planting, planting vines at, at all. all yes okay. yes and uh <laughs> and you know and which will lead uh to the michel gonad uh, family after that our neighbor it's the michel Gonnet, so they they run an estate uh, next to us and you know we we got two friends with these peoples and things like that and You know fortunately they with their right of plantation they allowed us to help you know three years after which we should done it before but that's that's how it is and uh, so it, it was gone you know i started to be with them really in 2005 2006 when there was the first vintage, because when you plant a vine in two thousand and two it 's minimum three vineyard. years to have some grapes and that 's young so i didn 't plant the vine, so I skipped the uh, the, the, the hardest part, and uh, I ended up uh, with them in two thousand and six, starting with everything, and uh, really, really officially, we started to vinify together the two thousand and seven was with the first vintage yes, the first vintage ever produced of Galouche. two thousand and eight there was a problem in with a tank so we lost everything so that's beginners not not Zero. in the field Zero. Y- no inside in, inside the tank after the harvest and things like that so you got the juice in something
2: screwed up and you couldn't use it yeah
3: exactly and when you know that we are and 09
2: uh, wasn't a bad vintage
3: year no 09 10 it was our yeah. our good luck because yeah. you know great vintage no roth nothing so that was good for us uh, 2009 Ten and even eleven, which is for me, it's a good vintage. Not with the same concentration, but that's good. And uh, so, of course, at Galushi, we are harvesting by end, destemming by end. So it's a, a big, big job with a lot of people. You know, when we start the harvest, we have a lot of friends, and we finish with no friends at the end of the harvest because it's a very right. tough job. Everybody
2: runs for the hills, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
3: And uh, so, you know, after that, 2012, 2013, you know, very tough vintage. You know, and and since we are I'm not allowed to say it because we're not officially organic. We're not certified. You because practice. Exactly, because that costs a lot of money for us. And with our tiny demand, we cannot pay for it. But we are completely organic in terms Wait, of... Wait, clear
2: it up for me. You can't pay for the certification?
3: Yeah, it's too expensive. But you
2: practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to walk around fields.
3: And exactly, but up. I'm not, officially, I'm not allowed to say right. it. Right. And, uh, and you know, for the the, the treatment, you know, uh, for uh, when, when it rains and things like that, we needed to learn a lot of things. We were very lucky that our first vintage were very good vintage. But in 2012, 2013, we lost practically everything because we were going to treat to do the treatment after the rain and after talking with a lot of organic biodynamic people they said no you need to treat right before the rain because the rain activated right. the product beginners you know that's that's how and now we we, we learn a lot of things with, with that experiences because we didn't want to be parisian to pay people to do our wine we wanted to do everything from a to z even if we do a lot of mistake, we right. lose a so lot of things, but we trial wanted to by understand. Error and you get there, right? Exactly. Our goal it was to understand something, not just to have our names on the label.
2: Right. You know. We're, you're doing this to do it right. Um, what vintage is in the market
3: now? it's uh, the 16s are arriving this week and 16 in New York. from what I hear was
2: a terrific vintage terrific for vintage you was it yes good? yes
3: exactly because in 17 we frost at 90% right so we lost practically everything but actually the 16 arriving at the same time the 17 but the 17 there's practically nothing there will be 200 uh, Magnum for for the US and That's it's unbelievable it? even if I age and bottle without any sulfur only in Magnum so that, since it's, it's a very small now, 20. how many bottlings are there? Is it one? Is it two? It depends on the vintage. It does. It's ju- just just to, to give you a, a quick example because the Merlot grapes and it's a blend. It's a blend. It's right. a blend, but it, it Merlot, predominantly Merlot. Predominantly Merlot at seventy percent. We have the Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Carmenere, and Petit Verdot in terms of reds. But you know when you have a vintage like two thousand fifteen which is a richer vintage, we put a little bit more of Cabernet right. in it because it's tightening the wine. You tweak it based on... And you neutralize the, 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 the sweetness. For example, in 2016, it's a very fresh vintage, so we have a little bit more of Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc because otherwise it will feel too much. So what we do is we do longer aging. We do one cuve, which is called Les Cabernet, which is produced with only like 700 bottles or 800 bottles, but it's almost 30 months of uh, oak aging. So we do a different specific cuvee, a little bit, I like to call it the Clos Rougeard, because it's really long-aging right. on old barrel. And Nadi Foucault, when I was at the Brussels and we did a private dinner tasting with him, he said, your wine, the, 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 the texture is very nice, but what you need is longer aging. So that's why with our Cabernet, since that moment, I did long aging on the Cabernet.
2: So adding a little more cab. Would it's, you, it's, it's when would we make have more yeah exactly it's okay. when
3: when when, we, when you, we don't use all the cabernet for the main domaine right. de galouche we do a specific cuvée les cabernets right. which we let age for longer right
2: um, so technically you're in Bordeaux exactly I mean you're near Libourn um, but you don't I don't even think you put the word Bordeaux on the bottle do you
3: we're not allowed because we're declassified in vin de France. And uh, I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, officially, we're not allowed because we put some white grapes in our chateau. You're breaking every rule, Marco. So, and it was by conviction at the beginning because when we started that project, that project, it was not to sell it; it was to drink it. Right. So that's why so you do what you want. Exactly. So you don't blending, have to do it here, right. blending the white to bring a little bit of lift, a freshness for us. It was since the beginning, but that's the official reason why we are not Bordeaux, but. The real official one is because right. we don't want to be associated. And you call it a... Vin de Jardin, garden right. wine, yes. Right, which gives you a lot of leeway. Exactly, and it's a little bit in provocation of the Vin de Garage that we hear for so long in oh, Bordeaux. yeah,
2: the old French Bordeaux garage yeah. wines. The and garages. we think the wine
3: is made in a vineyard, not in a garage.
2: No kidding. Um, I have some silly suspicion that when you make this wine because of your love for Burgundy, and that's what you came up, that it potentially is more of a Burgundian style than a Bordeaux. Am I right on that?
3: You're totally right. I don't like to use the Burgundian style because, you know, Burgundy, it's a little bit in trend at the moment, and it's, I don't like to use things.
2: But I'm, I'm not bringing that up as a negative. Yeah, using it more stylistically. Yeah, exactly. Not because that's what's cool now or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's the style that's been around. And just
3: if we want to talk about a little bit more technically when it's closer to, to Burgundy, what we need to understand is uh, in Bordeaux, most of the chateau today, when you reach 75% of the malolactic, of, sorry, of the alcoholic fermentation, right. they inoculated with lactic bacteria to make sure that the malolactic it's finished in 10 days. Which is not the Burgundy style. So what we're doing, it's a bit the Burgundy style. What you mean? It's when the alkalic fermentation is finished, we put down in cool cellar all the winter, and the old guy used to say the wine needs to do is spring. So malolactic from spring, which is a late malolactic, which is always better, and prevent to put sulfur all the winter in it's the wine. It's
2: a more natural progression in that. Exactly, it's exactly. less intervention or exactly. letting time and. We don't push, do yeah. right? Um, now, because I know you have a small plot and you don't make a ton of wine, I mean, is it accessible
3: in any way, the wine? Of course, of course. And this restaurants? Is restaurants. We, what we want today is to have prescripteur, ambassador. When I was at the Bristol, I could have sold 100% of the wine at 50, 50 euro bottle, but yeah. I, I never did it. My goal, is to, it was to stay at 10 euros and get it to out. be able to be served by the glass, to be able to be defended by sommelier, to say, you know, everyone eats Bordeaux today, but I'll make you taste something that you won't, you, it won't uh, ruin your, uh, your uh, wallet, but you'll be able to drink something with, 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 with fun.
2: Right. Now, I want to get into a couple other things, but I, I ask a lot of my guests, because I talk to a lot of sommeliers, what, what is inside of you, or what makes a Somme, Want to make wine or become a winemaker? Our dear friend Raj and we could go on and on with the list are now making incredible wines. What is it? Is it wanting to be part of the process? Is it wanting to get off the floor? I mean,
3: it's you know in life, uh, you know when you do mistake. For me, I'm trying to do the mistake only one time. You know, for example, if your head somebody has you wine, your wine bottle glass, you don't know. You make sure the next day you will never get caught again. And for me, you know, learning how to, to make wine, back then, no simile were making wines. Right. Okay. You know, we decided to plant. So it you, was,
2: you preceded the trend it, it, for it was sure. It
3: was the opportunity. It was the opportunity of being there. It was not like, again, no social media, nothing. So nobody knew. Okay. We started to do it because by conviction, because this is what we wanted to do. We had the opportunity with my two partners of doing this. We see, okay. Every time I'll go in the vineyard, in Burgundy, Rhone, or whatever, when I will talk with a winemaker, I want to know exactly what we're talking about. And that was my goal at the beginning. I wanted to do, and for me, I think, you know, the winemakers, it's one of the rare uh, business today that they do everything from A to Z. From the first cut of the pruning in the winter, the making, the farming, the bottling, the selling, is the only one that are able to do everything. You don't ask a, uh, a pastry guy to do his flour just makes the and patient. everything. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so, It's a totally vertical thing. Exactly. And for me, I wanted to go further than this, you know, to do the wine, to sell the wine, to buy the wine, and to serve it on my client at the end and to make sure that from the, the, the first... Pruning on the vine, until the drinking, which I'm in front of my clan, it's at least three years minimum, and it's a whole great job, and it's a great proud. When the people are happy, and they said, that's good,
2: good job. because you've had your hand on everything. Exactly. Um, Not everybody cares to do that, but there are people that are curious. Of course. Like you, you know, that want to understand all that. Um, You... We talked a little about it in the intro. You mentioned a little. You got your hands and a bunch of other stuff. Let's talk a little about that. Let's start with the Gonet thing, which is exciting because you're making a champagne. But I want to go back to one thing. When you talked about the hectare you're making Galooshie at hectare and a half, whatever, yes. Next door was Gonet. Yes. Now I could be wrong, but isn't Gonet a champagne producer? Exactly. What correct. What was the property they
3: had next to? It's Chateau Lespard, which we are on a lieu dit okay. Lespard. And Charles Henri in 86, they bought uh, a chateau in Bordeaux. Plus, of course, the 40 hectares that they own in Champagne since right. seven generations. Right. But that was like diversity, like me. I was in Paris, but I, I, I have a little. So, right. so uh, Charles Henri really helped us on many, many, many things. And after, after a few years, when he saw what we were doing with our little Galouche wine selling in the US, everywhere, in the three star Michelin things, I said, Marco, I think we should need a little bit of help in Champagne.
2: They love and, the effort.
3: And, and I said, okay, you know, you are the sleeping beauty of Champagne because we are the biggest récoltant manipulant of the Côte des Blancs. We own among the best terroirs ever. But that was a sleeping beauty, as I said. And he said, if we do everything, we need to restart everything. And in 2011, we started to work together. So you
2: officially were working with
3: yep. Gonet Since 2011, I'm partner with them, yeah.
2: And partner to this day? Yep which is why you have a champagne project.
3: Exactly. So Tell I was, me about
2: that so we know a little about Gonet and your connection. So the, your... The,
3: the Gonet project, it was really to launch the brand. I didn't want to have my name on anything. I really wanted to defend the Michel Gonet history, the Michel Gonet terroir, and all the possibility that the men had. And you know, we... With, with doing the blending together, like uh, changing the whole philosophy in terms of farming and things like that. That was really, really fascinating. And in 2016, you know, when uh, Antoine Goméreux, our new chef de cave arrived in 2014, so we started to go further in, in all the things. And one of my uh, very good friends, Jean-Marc Rouleau in Meursault, we were talking, I said, we need to change all the old oak aging and things like that. And he said, Marco, if you want, I'm doing a bottling next week. I can send you some 350 liters of three years of Meursault uh, I can send you 10 barrels. You said, oh, yes, great. He send it with the leaves in it and things like that. So in 2016, we did the fermentation and the aging in it. But, of course, 10 barrels when you, when you own 40 hectares and things like that is nothing. But that's
2: one thing. But the experiment, the idea worked. Exactly. The it, Rouleau it, barrels. It, all, exactly. That, that it, was what you were looking it's, to. It's at-
3: great, Demi, and we all know that the best producer are the one that gets the best oak that's that's how it is and you know he sent us 10 barrels and we did our vinification in 2016 in it 10 barrels so it really leaves us in a mind that we can do great thing in occasion but that was so little quantity that at the end i discussed with antoine Gomerieux, the chef de cave and we said 10 barrels four thousand five hundred bottles it's nothing in the big things like that can i keep it to do my own wine and with the Gonne family, they said, you keep it. So you split off in a way. Yes, that exactly. That was your project. And, and I'm continuing to buy some barrels full of the gonet. you
2: said, can I take the 10 and do it myself, when was that? 16? In you? 16,
3: during the tasting, you know, we harvest in September and we did the tirage in April after the fermentation and aging. And when we tasted, we said, that's very good. And after that, we had that decision of saying, okay, in compensation for the work I'm doing for you. Can I do my own champagne? And he said, yes. And this is where I discussed with one of my dear friend Rajpar, and we decided to do it together.
2: So Raj is coming in, and both of you will worry about the winemaking. Exactly. So that's
3: why now we have 16, 17, 18, is 16 19. in the bottle? 16 is in bottle after 10 months. But when you do a vintage... Is it on the market yet? No, it's, you're allowed to commercialize it 36 months right. after the tirage. So we'll see it when? In June now i'm working with on the label now and uh, we did the dosing test with uh, raj uh, three weeks ago in paris and it's very very promising
2: now is it, I, I don't want to think i lost track of this is it still going to be around the 10 barrel production or you can escalate that a little for the moment it will be the and 10 barrels okay. so, yeah 4500 4, bottles i think it's it um i know raj and he's truly one of the best guys out there why why did you bring Raj in? You but, know, you're capable of doing it. I understand. Is that the reason why? Because he's it's, just the best guy it, yeah, I, on your it, side?
3: It's not because he's the best guy. He is the best guy and he knows exactly what I'm thinking about him. But it's really because he's one of my best friend. also. We know each other since 20, almost 20 years now. We are tasting blind tastes like until 7 o'clock in the morning every time we see each other and he's a very very good friend and i think it was kind of fun of, I, I, of, of doing it together i you know? want you
2: to explain to these guys not to me i get it is raj the best palate without any wine oh, yeah. certification yeah,
3: yeah, yeah blind taste yes of course even you if you are... will say that the first time we met we got into a fight but uh, you know right. i'm the only one to not to not remember that but he's he's probably right because he got a great memory all right, so let's quickly
2: go through a couple other things. So that's the partnership with Gone, which now I understand goes back and how this project came about, the ten barrel story, is what I'm gonna call it. Veritas Imports you mentioned is an importer, or wholesaler, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That, He's one of the
3: oldest one in California. Right, and their
2: their job is to bring the wines into that market, California. Yeah, exactly,
3: right? but not only these wines. It's because No, no, I meant you know their portfolio. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um and then does this stuff still exist? I mean, you're like the CEO of these companies I never heard of. W- Wine Ted? Or-
3: Wine Ted, yeah. This is what my did- company I, I brought in 2011 because I'm doing a lot of private tasting for businesses in Paris. And, so it's you a know,
2: consultation thing? Consultation, okay. but
3: mostly animation, you know, uh, animated tasting. Right, right, right. And you're the guy to do that. Yeah. And I picked up
2: on something else. Crew distributors? Is that-
3: we just launched with my uh, assistant, Thomas Simeon, that was my health sommelier. We just created a distribution company in Paris. Which we do wines for restaurants and things like that. Now we have a little, just a little bit more than ten domains. So that that's got some upside. Exactly, and business. it's getting really, really there, and we're getting better. We have a lot of very good partnership. We don't want to take like big, uh, big uh, houses or things it like that. Everything you, we want to don't defend. you
2: curate your own list and all that. E- exactly, right. and this is
3: what we want to do. And the crew, you- it's
2: getting there. Yeah. Are you going to distribute the Gonet project through
3: Crew? The the Gonet project is already there, and we're going to distribute the wines of uh, Domaine de la Cote from Raj in Paris in two months. Oh, you're going to bring that over? Yeah, it's already sold. So you uh, you know, it's
2: yeah. Um, So, like you said before, man, you're going totally vertical. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yes. Now, this is like asking a parent, "What's your favorite kid?" But of all these projects um does something tug at you more than the other are you passionate about one more than the other the restaurant the restaurant is the re- your
3: the restaurant it's the little diamond that makes you everything shine yeah i can for, for me if i stop taking care of people and that's in your blood. Exactly. I,
2: I wasn't sure you were going to answer as, that. As, as I long, get
3: it. As, as long as I could uh, do it as like physically talking, I will do it because right. I really love it. And I, will, I want to help, you know, kids because it's a school, you know, Ventre, it's a school. There's young kids that coming They right. learn about wine. They have the accessibility of tasting a lot of wine and things like that. And for me, this is what I want to continue to do as long as I could physically. I, I,
2: I love hearing that. All right. We have a few minutes left. I don't let any of my guests leave without answering my wine list. Five questions. I asked the same five questions to everybody. Raj Parr answered these. Kathy Corison was on last week. She answered them. So you're getting the one. same ones. The first question is, what are you drinking now? What, what's in your fridge? What's on the table? What's interesting for the restaurant? Not what you drink all the time. What's seasonal?
3: Yeah, the, 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 you're really right to mention about seasonal because the, the wines that you drink in the middle of the winter and in the summer are not the same. But what I like to have in my fridge at the moment, it's very often some Geuse, some uh, some beer. You know, the, the beer which is made like champagne, old oxidized long beak. How do you, and you spell the, uh, G-E-U-Z-E. Z. Right, gold. Geuse. And this is what I like to have, uh, for example, the Cantillon, which is one of the greatest uh, beer right. on the planet. I love is sake. That,
2: is, is that a sour beer? To yeah, some exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay.
3: It's very high acid, right. and it, it, it's it's a beer which is made like champagne, right. double fermentation. Champagne be on being one of the best examples. All right. What was the second thing you said? Sake. I'm a big fan of, uh, S- of sake, but not all the category of sake. I love the <coughs> junmai daiginjo, the more 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 purest one. And so junmai. Junmai and junmai daiginjo. Yes, the right. non-reduced and non-fortified one. I think they're very pure. They're like a samurai uh, blade, and they're very like like iodine like rocks water and i really love that and of course all that new generation of winemakers that wants to do wine as a beverage not as a competitor wine they you want an example for example uh, pifferling in tavelle you know very nice precise with a lot of identity wine but you know that you want to drink it's not only the bigger is better you know like wines right. that it's it can be I know that you don't like that, that word today, but wines which can be very crunchy, but with a lot of identity. That's Raj's favorite word, crunchy. And, and, and I re- right. I very really that. very yeah. drinkable. Drinkable, exactly, but with yep. a lot of identity. Right, yeah.
2: All right, so those are good ones. This is the goofiest question on the list. Favorite wine and food pairing? Obviously not something you eat every night, even serve it. But what, what makes sense to you?
3: If, uh, the, what makes sense for me? It's, it will be the easier one, but it's a uh, really great... Chateau Chalon from François-Rousset-Martin with a 30-month Comté cheese. That's the best example of what is a wine pairing and, and, and food pairing in the world. Nothing else.
2: So, first time that wine, not the first time people have paired with Comté and aged Comté, because that's a good one. All right. We'll figure out how to dissect this one. Tell me your favorite wine, restaurant, and or bar. And... These are places and it's basically Vaughn. It's people that are passionate about it, like to talk about it, have a selection. Doesn't necessarily have to be as big as yours, but a curated and the food is good or as a bar it's good. Tell me a couple of places in New York, if you can identify, and anywhere else, whether well, it's Paris.
3: In New York, definitely, I will go. It's it it's some uh, publicity for them, but I think they really, really deserve it. It's Pascaline Le Peltier at Racine. Always De- comes up. Definitely because That's she's a doing a, show a great favorite. job. Yeah, and and I really go there privately every time. It's not it's not just because I, I agree, heard of it. Arno
2: and Diego. I mean, it's it's like you. You have a very good chef. You have a very good list, and you have people that are you know. And
3: you have a good identity also around it. Yes, that's very good. And I will do. But my-
2: here's. Here's the secret, and tell me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that a French wine bar initially? Uh, so yeah,
3: yeah to... probably, but, but I think you know, the, people, the, the people really have that devotion uh, yeah. on wines. But if you want to come back to uh, not necessarily French, there's another great restaurant wine bar in San Francisco, which is called Verju. V-E-R-J-U-S. I think, yeah, I think they really deserve uh, a lot of publicity because they're doing a great job and you have a lot of very passionate people over there. And I was blown away by what they were doing over there. So that's that's a very good place I love over there. Those
2: are two good ones. And I didn't tell you this, but I post all the answers.
3: We post a okay,
2: wine okay, list I think that really is and the other list, wines yes. we talk about and all that. And I, you kind of disclaimed it a little. I asked this because who better than guys like you to tell me, I don't want you to be exclusive. Obviously, there's other places that are good and you have friends. But, you know, I'm just saying pick one of them out. And, you know, if you come to New York and you go to Racines more than others, that's why they should be mentioned by Exactly. Guy, exactly, exactly. You know, and and that, think- that's all I was looking for. All right. Fourth question. We discussed this a little earlier. Favorite all-time wine. And that now means a wine that's important to you or resonates or, you know, had some an important moment. And if there's a few...
3: There's a few, but I'll go on, on a wine which not a lot of people had the chance to taste, if you have one day. is because I was very close to Patrick Bees from the Simon Bees, and he died, of, of course, unfortunately, in 2013. And one of his favorite wine, and I was completely agreeing with, he, with him, it was the Vergeulesse. Savigny Vergelès 2003. I think Spell it was spelled Vergelès. V E R G E L E S It's a little bit like the most prestigious premier cru they have at the domaine. And Patrick was a brother. I was very, very close to him, and that was a very, very great wine. I still have some at the restaurant, but it's. And that's they're an not important always. wine to you. Yes.
2: That's how you answer that yeah. question. Yeah. All right. Last question. You're doing good. I know you're breathing heavy, but we're almost done. Um, Tell me, recommend to me best wine around 15, 20 bucks US. Um, I mentioned earlier, my kids are in their 20s, they can't show up at parties with supermarket wine. I can't afford 40 bucks. So, how do you impress somebody at 15, 20, 22 bucks? I need you to give me a red, a white. You can give me region, maker, both, everything.
3: But definitely, uh, I would say, in terms of white, if you want, because I always like to, to have identity in the wine, I think it's really po- possible. Uh still in this world, because I think it's really the, be- the biggest and the greatest terroir of all time, I think this is the Chablis. The Chablis terroir, I think you're allowed, without necessarily going on Ravno and Dovisa, but I think you can have some very, very good wine for a really good price quality average. Is this like Chablis? Petite and village yeah, the large p- p- level. P- Petit Chablis, Is that where the and, values and, and, are? And, 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 oh, of course. Okay. If, if we want to talk about really great identity wine, we can find some Chardonnay from everywhere else right. on the planet or things like that. But I like to think that all the new generation of kids that will try wine, they will look for identity in the wine from where it came from or something like that. That's what's important. To them. There's, there's no obligation of intellectualizing the wines. But I think if they can know that, oh, wow, that the, smell, iod, uh, that smell of the oysters, where does that come from? The story. Exactly. Right. So for me, Chablis, I think it's really one of the uh, the best example. Uh, The the second one, I think, uh, that really, really are upcoming with all the new generation of winemakers and farming, plus a little bit the global warming, I think it's the Pinot Noir from Alsace. I think they're doing a great, great job over there. So because
2: of the climate change...
3: To part part some it. extent. A little part of it. Besides the fact that they're making good wine. Yeah, exactly. And they, they, they have an all different reflection on the vegetal. And they really, think, they really think now that they can do great wine without looking like burgundies, without looking like Sancerre red, but just looking like r- red Pinot Noir from Alsace. And I think they can do great, great wine over there. Those are good ones. Um, so that's your red, that's your white. All right, we've got to wrap
2: up. Usually at this time I do a segment called the Weekly Wine Sip where we taste wine. But because everyone's running around, it was hard to get wine. But what I may do is meet up with you tomorrow and maybe with the head of right. my... Okay. Just take a minute or two to, you know, throw the galushi over the tongue and see what we get at okay, it. Okay, I only
3: have four <laughs> bottles, so make sure you come a little bit early. Okay, I'll be there, <laughs> don't worry.
2: All right, got to wrap up. Let me do a wrap-up, Marco, and I'm going to let you go. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at Nation.com. That's com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. You could follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at S ben Ruby. On Twitter, we're at Ben Ruby. But you can always use the hashtag The Grape Nation on both. As I mentioned, I'll post all of Marco's wine recos and his wine list answers. Um, and we may add a little weekly wine sip to it um, on all our social media sites. Marco, if people want to follow you, the restaurant, the wines, there's a handful of stuff there. Where's the best place for people to go social?
3: Uh, the best place in social, we are not very good at it like European people, but uh, Restaurant Ventre on Instagram, you can find us. It's
2: at restaurant? Yeah, at the the word, restaurant. Uh, V-A-N-T-R-E. E, yeah, okay, restaurant, that's right. yes. Uh, anything with galuche? Uh, not, not really. really. Okay.
3: Um,
2: but I think if you Google it, yeah, which yeah. yeah if, and you know, and on my Cruise, private you, you Grand Cru selection will come up. They'll be info. Exactly, and, and on everything I
3: do uh, outside the restaurant, usually it's on my personal uh, Instagram account. Okay, um,
2: what's your personal account?
3: Peltier Marco. So it's your name backwards. Yeah, exactly. Because yes. you're
2: dyslexic. Exactly. Okay. sorry. All right. So that's the other one. If you want to just follow Marco Peltier Marco, which is his name, like I said, reversed. All right, Marco. Got to say goodbye. I want to thank our guests, Marco Peltier. Pelletier, <laughs> not Pelletier. Okay. Pelletier. Um, I want to thank everyone at Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to the Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast.